Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of OneClick Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to B2B Made Simple. Joining me on the show, I have my good friend, Mike Herter. He's a VP of sales and marketing uh, for the Americas um, at uh, the company Marketplacer. So, Mike, it's good to have you here on the show. Hey, Sam. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here and uh, appreciate your time, man. Yeah. So let's kick this off with a cool question here. Um, the first thing I want to ask you is if you tonight had two hours all to yourself and you could choose between sitting down and watching a TV show or a movie, what direction would you go? Oh, I don't know that that's ever really my choice. Uh, so <laughs> I think, uh, I think between, between my daughter and my wife, I think that, that that'll be dictated to me. Uh, but it'll, <laughs> we're in the middle of America's Got Talent right now and catching up go. on that. And then uh, I think we're, we're waiting to see the, the new Kevin, Kevin Hart movie. So <laughs> candidly at this point, I think that's, uh, that's more my wife's call than mine. But uh, There you go. Hey, happy wife, happy life, right? More or less. <laughs> totally get it. For us, it, it's going to be here soon. Um, our daughter will be Coco Melon. That's, I, that's the phase we're coming into. I'm sure it'll be, I just want to watch Coco Melon all the time. And the remote will be hers, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, J- JJ wants a new bed. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so you know the start it's started recommending coco melon to me yes i they know it. somehow they know. <laughs> they do know yes well awesome man i appreciate you you being here on the podcast um you know we have a pretty cool topic today which is really who owns the messaging um whether it's internal or external um and i'm excited to dive into that so let's go ahead and kick this off um you know one thing i've seen a lot is that companies spend a lot of time making sure their their messaging resonates with their buyers. And truthfully, I think they talk about this 95% of the time. Um, and they rarely give attention to making sure that that same message resonates with their internal team. Um, so in your perspective, why is it important that companies do both? It's, so I, I think people kind of overestimate uh, the, the what, what you're talking about in terms of resonating. And I think that if you, if you think about a message itself, right? A message itself is something that lives horizontally and is something that a customer gets to determine is, is they're interacting with. And it doesn't necessarily matter where they are in the sales process, right? There's a horizontal message that you really want to keep consistent through, through the entirety of your interaction with the customer. Now, the challenge that you have is that most of that messaging is born out of vertical in your own organization. So if you think about the thought that most people have a sales department, a marketing department, and a customer success or implementation arm that's ensuring you know, the, the, the long-term stickiness and, and user adoption, all of those things tend to be organized vertically and the customers interacting with you horizontally. So along that line, the question becomes, right? who is the actual human being who owns the message, the way that the customer's interacting with you and how that's going. And, you know, marketing, and and, and this is where I see a a, a lot of things that are developed 
and it's kind of siloed sometimes in, in that creation. So you develop a message, you believe in that message, you're excited about that message because you, you know, maybe you went to college for marketing, maybe marketing's your entire life, maybe you're just really smart at things and stuff and, and, and communicating out branding and ideas. But the reality is you're, you're, you're not maybe in touch with customers like sales is in, on, on a day-to-day -day basis. And at some point, it's never what you've created, which could and should be perfect in an ideal world, may not be resonating over here on the sales side of things. And so mm -hmm. the person that actually owns the delivery of a message to the customer is whomever the customer is speaking with at that particular moment in time. So whether it's a, it's a social channel, uh, marketing probably owns the delivery of you know, your corporate message at that point in time. But if you're in a sales cycle, you're in a presentation, you're in an RFP, this, that, and the other, whatever that seller is actually saying to that customer, that person actually owns that message. So all of those different points of distortion along that horizontal interaction that the customer has is creating a change in voice and a change in, in actual words and tones, all based on the thought that, and I was a seller for a long time, that a seller doesn't necessarily like what was created over here because nobody asked that seller what they thought about it. And the, mm -hmm. the, the, the test that I always, I used to call it the Mike Herter test, which is, what, I, I would never say that to a customer. And if I would never say that to a customer, then okay. I, I mean, there's, 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 there's a challenge and there's something broken between the creation of what you want to present to a customer and what they're ultimately going to hear by the end of that message. So almost like a game of Chinese whispers, right? What, what was that first thing the customer heard and felt at the beginning and the onset of what they're doing? And then what is that thing that sits at the, at the very end of it? It's going to be very, very different. It's, it's going to be very Chinese whispers in nature. And that's where... That's why I think things go a little bit sideways when you start to put together messaging. It's just not one of those things that, that, that is built to live. So the, the, the vertical nature of its creation and then the, the horizontal nature of its interaction and delivery, it just gets chopped up. And it's, uh, I, it, there are too many places that a message can actively die compared to what was originally conceived. And uh, along that, I would, I would then tell you that there's two reasons <laughs> for that, right? And, and, and I don't always want to put it on the thought that it's not a good message, right? So, so sometimes you have a messaging problem. Sometimes you have a branding problem. Sometimes you have a creation problem. Sometimes you have a people problem. <laughs> and, and, and some people just don't want to get on board with good messaging. They just like to run their show. And so whenever you have customers that at the end of their sales cycle, Aren't, aren't looking at you the way that you originally intended, you, you probably want to get through one of those two things. Yeah, so I'll, I'm going to take this back a little bit. So basically what you're saying is the marketing team, maybe the C-suite, they all agree on this message, right? It's going to be this company-wide message. It's throughout the website. It's through your content. And it's this voice that your company has. And then there's this hang-up where there's these actual, for, we'll use sales as an example because they're talking to the customers they're not using that same message and the customer was hooked by the original message and then they get to a sales conversation is just much different than what they were expecting or what they encountered before, right? 
it's it's like that, but think about it, it's even bigger than that too, right? So if you think about software sales, there's an entire partner ecosystem that sits around a lot of uh, pieces of software, right? So the, the labor market for any individual piece of software or, or anything in general, is, is, is fairly sizable, oftentimes bigger than the actual software market itself. And so now you, you not only have the, the sales team, but you have channels teams, you have partner teams, you have all these different individuals who are interacting with the customer in hopes of selling your product that are starting to move off your message for, for any one of a number of different reasons. One, maybe you just never, excuse me, maybe you just never tested it with them. Maybe you never got their feedback. Maybe you're out of touch. Uh, maybe they're just a, an entirely stubborn market, uh, which is probably not an entire market of stubborn people. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of different people who are speaking to the customer on your behalf. And it's not just that factory created message that, that you put together. And so it's, it, you, you, you've got to kind of run that through a number of different things where you're asked. I, I, I actually would, would always offer to somebody that they need to go find the most difficult seller they can find. Uh, that person that's really successful, but people don't necessarily love to be around all that much. Um, I, I probably know who I'm talking about in your own organization. Go find that person and ask them, just say, would you ever say this to a customer? Like what would happen if you said this to a customer? If, if you told a customer that your company was this, what would, what, what would that, would that help you? <laughs> would that hurt you? Would that, uh, would, would, would I be putting you in a weird hole for some of your talk tracks? Like how, how are you taking a customer by the time that, that they're making their way to you, getting them from here to here? And how does that live within that typically? And if, if you get good feedback and getting good response, you're probably on target. And if you're not, then uh, it's, just, it's, it's probably time to, to start thinking that through a little bit more and, and, and maybe start asking a, a few more questions about what your sales cycle is actually like and, and what that landscape is. Um. So in regards to feedback, you're saying instead of having them really in the the origination of the message, you sit down with your marketing team or whoever it is that creates a message that needs to be this voice, right? And then once it's done, you go get the feedback. So they're not involved in like the initial stages. It's more of, hey, this is what we have. Would you ever use this? I think, I think it's, well, the earlier you can get to them, the better. But you have to remember salespeople are a particular way. Right. So so they expect you to come to them with something perfect as though you can read their absolute mind with none of their own time being taken away from sales to go into generating that. Now, that's a that's an unrealistic expectation from a group of people that just love to generate those things internally. Uh, salespeople are quite difficult in that regard, but that's kind of the, the nature of who they are. I would say find 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 a sales manager who's willing to kind of work with you on the front end of that right? Get, get to a little bit clean, cleaner and clearer air in that regard. Have somebody sit down and kind of say, is, is this going to work with your team? And then have that sales manager bring somebody in to pressure test it at the right time. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I would, I, to the degree that you can kind of create that together and, and, and accept that at the same time, I think that's a really positive thing. Uh, to the degree that a, a salesperson is going to look back and go, how much more time do I have to be here? <laughs> uh, I, would, I would i would be aware of that because sales would mm-hmm. take it away but i usually if you can find a, a go-to-market or sales leader that's willing to spend some time with you on the front end and, and, mm-hmm. and you embrace it you say look i want to put a message together that your sales team's really bought into 
And mm -hmm. also I'm aware that if I don't, that it's only going to live right up to your doorstep. I think you're going to find a lot of people are, are, are going to be extremely gracious with their time. And, and they're going to want to be part of that because you're probably going to be the first person that's ever done it. Mm -hmm. uh, you're probably going to be the first person that's ever approached in that way. It's, it's, it's not a very common thing, oddly. And so if, if, if you do that, yeah, that, that sales manager will, will be really excited about it. And that person will bring in probably, you know, ask for the, the, the hardest proof point that person we described earlier and, and, and test that out a little bit and see how that goes. And then, you know, put that on the sales manager. You're like, look, man, if we can't get this right with your team, I invited you in this process. Like, <laughs> help, yeah. help me yeah. one more time. Mm -hmm. So we we're, we've gotten to the point where now you're getting feedback um, from the sales organization. Is this so whether you had a marketing manager or a VP of sales come in and, and sit down with you and, and come up with a message, whether they did that or not, um, the next step would be actually go to them. And you mentioned that you before kind of how you approach that. But who are you going to? Are you going to everyone in the sales organization with this or a couple of key people? What does that look like? No, and, and that's the good thing about sales. Uh, everybody in sales speaks. So you, you get to the point where you can start standing behind the idea that you, you put together a, a message that was created in concert with sales. They'll already know, know that before you get to the meeting. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> the, the, the word travels fast in the sales community, particularly in the company. So you, you, know, you, you, you have a sales manager saying, look, you know, I'm pretty impressed with the marketing team. They're, they're coming over to me and we're building this together so that it's usable for, for, for you, you know, guys and gals. Then they'll, they'll know about that pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And they'll all want, I, I, I think you'll see that people kind of pile in and, and want to be part of it. Right. When they see that their peer got invited and they didn't. And so it's it's one of those things where word just travels too fast in the sales community. They already know it. Uh, <laughs> okay. You you want you want a message to travel fast to the sales community, place it with the, the person that, that, that talks <laughs> the most. And yeah. uh, get 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 them to endorse it and feel good about it. And pretty soon it, it it'll be like wildfire. You'd be surprised how many people know about it without you knowing they know about it. Mm -hmm. Um something I actually put out a little while ago on LinkedIn was um, getting sales involved in a website launch and why I think that's important. And a lot of people were behind that just because of what we've been talking about, more of the alignment side, kind of get them some buy-in to what's been going on. Um, and obviously we're kind of touching on that now, but one of the pieces of feedback that I got was, oh my gosh, I would never do that with sales just because that opens up a can of worms of way too many cooks in the kitchen and now it's like unsolicited feedback that maybe you didn't want. Do you run into that when you tackle this sort of thing? Or what does that look like? Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't put sales in the middle of my website launch. But what I would do for a couple of things, I, I would put, I would ask sales two things uh, primarily, right? One, I would try to make sure I understood the tone and the, and the voice that they carry through in their sales cycle and try to take that as far back as I could into the actual delivery of the website, right? So what are the words they use? What are the things they say? I, I want to make sure that there's not a weird handoff between my, my website presence and, and my digital interactions and then the people that they're speaking to. So how far could I back that up? And then the other thing that I would ask them, uh, I would say, look, in terms of qualifying questions and lead forms and things like that, like what are the two or three things that you absolutely have to know on the front end of something so that you can start having a conversation with with a customer and start negotiating out what marketing and sales thinks is required as active data capture 
um, mm-hmm. for, for some of the things that are coming through. Because I, I think a lot of times you, you miss out on conversations because there's a marketing department that believes you have to capture 30 fields before somebody can submit a form and, and, and ask to talk to you. And the sales team's just like, look, man, if I had these four things, I could have a conversation. Well, between there is probably 26 data elements that you got to rationalize. And, and you got to ask the salesperson, if, if our company didn't have that, right, or didn't know that, or you know that coming into a conversation, like waste your time uh, and, and, and start making that value decision as to whether those data elements are worth somebody deciding your forms too long and just kind of walking away. So I would, I would start to figure out what are the meaningful data capture points that you have. Uh, and I would get that from the sales team. One of the things you want to know in, in a conversation is you kind of move forward. And then what are, what are the tone and what is in the content itself? Are these things you'd ever say, right? But they don't, I mean, yeah. you show them a website and they say, I don't like that color. What do you care? I mean, I mean, literally asking sales to, to validate whether they like your website. That's uh, that's a bit of a fool's errand, but do they like the content? Yeah. That, yeah. So that's actually the direction I was, I, I put a couple points. I was like, Hey, does this res, is this something that you hear customers say, just like give us feedback on some of the words that we use in the messaging. Um, and then also like, is this tough to navigate? I think was the other one that I came up with, but um, in, in your case, so that was kind of a leading question to like the messaging side, which is like, are there too many cooks in the kitchen when we're, we have this story behind our brand and we want the feedback from sales? Obviously the, the website was an example, um, but going back to what we were talking about, is there, are there too many cooks in the kitchen when you're trying to get their feedback? Who are you trying to serve the food to? I think is the most important question, right? So, so one, if you want feedback on whether you can navigate your website, ask the customer. Uh, that, that, that'll be able yeah, to be valuable yeah. in salesperson. Uh, but when, when you talk about cooks in the kitchen, who's going to eat the soup? And ultimately, all that messaging culminates in a salesperson picking up the cycle and bringing that home. So if you want the person that's going to eat the food to come back in there and be like, hey, man, it needs a little more salt. I would say you probably want them to, 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 to round some of that out with their favorite ingredients. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the ones eating the soup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you're getting feedback from like an overall message perspective, kind of like what we've been touching on in the beginning. Um, you're now at the feedback stage, right? So are you just like showing them a Google doc with some like phrases that you're going to be using in your marketing? Or do you show them some content and say, does this resonate with you? Is this what you're hearing on sales calls? Does this make you comfortable? Is it sales enablement material? What is it that you're actually getting their feedback on from a messaging standpoint? It's, it, it is the message itself uh, and at the heart of it, right? If, mm-hmm. if, if a customer was to read that we are this, does that help you position yourself against competitor X, Y, and Z? Does that create differentiating conversation on day one of your interaction with them that allows you to position yourself as the solution to problem A, B, and C? And you can do those things you're in a good spot and then you can start to get to look you know here's that next level of it once you get to to the does this differentiate you from competitor x y and z and does this solve problem a b and c and bring people to it from there you know let, let's genius take over right and 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 you can start to dig that down you want them to come in and do some checkpoints on that that's good but it's 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 really that high level. What is that one sentence? What is that two sentence that you're putting out into the world 
make sure that that differentiates you from competition in the context of problem solving A, B, and C or opportunity growth on one, two, three. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so a question I have for you is how do we know if we have a people problem or a messaging problem? Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, I, I, I look, I, I think some of that is just going to be something that you intuitively know, right? You, mm -hmm. you, uh, yeah, I, I think if you don't have a process problem and you're bringing people in, some of that is just going to kind of kind of shake itself out through the course of monitoring. So if you, if, if, if you keep coming up with ideas and you keep putting it in front of people and there's just no, 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 it's not perfect. All right. Well, some people are perfectionists. You're just going to have to kind of go ahead and then you're going to have to ask them what they do. Uh, if, if you, if you're going through this process itself and you realize people just aren't open to feedback in general, yeah, you've got, you've got a messaging problem. But the, at the end of the day, if you have a marketing individual that can articulate the, the differences in your competitors, excuse me, the problems that you're trying to solve or the opportunities that are sitting right in front of you, if you have those things, you probably are going to be in an okay position and you just validate doing the buy-in exercises on the front end to make sure that thing's going to live through, through a perpetuity. Beyond that, I think you're dealing with just the standard management of people. And uh, most people at that point can kind of tell uh, what, what falls out of that. But if, if marketing understands those things and you have a salesperson who is just a stubborn person, you're going to have them, right? They, they exist. They're, they're out there. Uh, probably be guilty of that once or twice. Um, but, but you'll, you'll know pretty quickly if you, if you can answer the bell on who do we compete with in the light of what problem in the light of, you know, what opportunity. Mm -hmm. What companies, if any come to mind for you, um, are doing this really well in regards to making sure their message is aligned both mm -hmm. internally and with their buyers. And why, why did you pick them? Like who, why did they resonate with you? Yeah, it's interesting. You for the most part, people see marketing as an extension of corporate, right? So if you think about the fact that you got field facing functions, a lot of people just don't put marketing in the breadth of a field facing function. So where people are actually sliding the message on top of things the best is where people are actually paying attention to the things that corporate says. Uh, the, the, the company I tell you do, does that really well is Salesforce. If you're a company where, you know, you, you, you're giving people time off, you're making, you know, kind of, you're, you're doing the right thing before the rest of the market does and your whole company's sitting there and they're really proud to be working for you and, and, and with you and they're waiting to see what your corporate does and comes out with next it's pretty easy to put the message right on top of that, right? It's, that's, that's, that's a perfect delivery vehicle for your messaging and everybody's getting on board and they're getting behind the things that, that you're doing at a corporate level. Messaging just kind of flows right along with that. And you can kind That's of interesting. That in, in a lot of the stuff that you do. So I, I like Salesforce for that because they're, they're a company that people look to and they want to see what Mark Benioff's going to come up with next. Uh, what, what sort of thing that we all knew was right to do all along, but nobody's really said, I'm going to take a, a big move on it. Uh, they'll do that. And so everybody in Salesforce is actually listening for that and, and they want to know what's coming next. So you, you, release, you release something out of corporate there. People are reading it. People are paying attention to it. People want to be part of it. They, they identify people who work for Salesforce identify with working for Salesforce as, as this, this like positive thing in their life. And so with that, you know, they, they want to know what the message is too. And it just, 
it when you deliver something as its own thing, like here's my message, people are going to look at it and they're going to pick it apart. They're going to pick it apart all the time because it's its own thing. But when it's just this smaller thing that's part of something that's so great, they're just they're just they're going to go with it. And so I think Salesforce does a really really good job of that. So would you say then that it boils down to culture? more more often than not because when people are excited about your company they're going to naturally want to share the message yeah when when your culture is horizontal you're in a much better spot than when your culture is vertical and 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 what tends to ruin this more than anything else is those dividing lines that are that are hard and drawn between organizations where you have an organization that is sales and you have an organization that is marketing and you have an organization that is this and this you usually have a human being who is sitting atop that, right? Based on all of the little hierarchical triangles and pyramids that we were learned to adopt through, you know, history classes. It was taught to us through the history of war, right? Mm-hmm. People organize in, in pyramids and these pyramids have hard lines and these are organizations and that's, that's, that's the depth of a message. But where companies are culturally organized along the thought that you want a customer to experience a horizontal thing Right, people get behind that, and 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 where you have a culture that people appreciate being part of your company, a lot of these problems that we're talking about goes away. These problems tend to get introduced as you get bigger, and people see themselves a particular way. And when they see themselves a particular way, they see themselves as owning a department, and I am the almighty head of said department who creates messages that you know all intelligent people will 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 know to to interact. Things, but where you can keep things, you know, kind of harmonious and, and culturally, like you're talking about, it's 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 yeah, it's your best bad at it. Yeah, and honestly, you might be sitting here thinking that you have a people problem or a messaging problem, but maybe you need to take a step back and say, well, do we actually have a, a culture problem? Because no matter how good your messaging is and how good your people are, if your culture sucks, like no one's going to be excited about any message that you put out and you're in trouble. You, you got a hard lines problem, right? Mm-hmm. You got a hard vertical line problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Um, well, cool. So let's move on to the, the final part of our, our podcast here. So I forgot to ask you if you've ever hosted a podcast before, but if not, now is your opportunity. Um, I'm going to hand the mic to you. And if you have anything, any questions you want to shoot over to me, um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. So here, well, that here you go. Fun. That sounds fun. All right. So uh, questions. Let's see. What am I racking my brain? I, all right. So generationally, right. There's a, there's a pocket of talent that is, is starting to emerge and starting to come up. And what I'm having a hard time connecting to in, as I interview that talent is the thought that there's this time horizon that everybody explores in their own career. I know that I lived from uh, to my next promotion when I was younger, and then I lived, okay, to, to the next country I wanted to move to. And now I'm, 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 I'm looking at my path between now and I just don't feel like working anymore. And, and those are my horizons. But what I can't quite crack is the time horizon for, for kind of your, your age group. When you think about your career, right? What is that time increment that's most important to you that you're considering at the moment, whether it's financially or, or the work you're doing? Are, are you looking a day ahead, a week ahead, a month ahead, a year ahead, 10 years ahead? 
Like what is what is that time horizon that somebody can construct a good working experience for you that makes you go, yup. Because people used to have that conversation in the context of your career. <laughs> people used to have that conversation in the context of five years, 10 years. And it always has the question, where do you see yourself? I don't really love that question, but people ask it. Um, and so what, what, but what I can't figure out is how to construct that right conversation around that right time horizon. What mm-hmm. is that? You know, I think it, it's really different for a lot of people in my age group. Um, but from, from my experience, I would say I'm looking three to five years is typically where I sit. So I'm a hundred percent not looking day to day. Um, that's not really the focus. I would say, yeah, I would say three to five years would probably be where I'm sitting. Um, just because it's, to me, it's like attainable, almost tangible to know that it's not this super far out goal that I need to set for, you know, that time period. And then on top of that, it's like, it feels like it's still a goal because it's three to five years away. So it's almost like the sweet spot for me to be like, this is what I'm thinking about most. Where do I want to be financially? Where do I want um, my business to be? Where do I want to take the next step from there? Um, I guess I've never been asked that question before, but I think that's probably where I sit. And I can't say I speak for everyone in my uh, age group per se, but um, that's how I think about it. And is it, is it one to two cycles before you're the next big thing? So in, in three to five years, or is it five to 10 years? I'm looking through however we consume news in five years. Mm-hmm. God knows what that looks like. And I come across this article that says, local man, Sam Moss, dot, 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 right? Uh, so, so what am I reading? Yeah, so I would say it is the five-year increment. So in five years, um, I would like you know our, our business to be sustained enough to where I can actually start like a SaaS company where it does, I don't have to go out and get VC funding. I don't have to get investors. And I think that that's a really good way to go about it. So five years from now, that's, that would be the best bet. And then obviously five years from there is where, you know, the SaaS company is, is doing really well. So that's how I look at it. Um, and even like, like you were saying, like the social media, how things are going to change and how people like consume content. Um, when I think about that, I normally think probably like the two to three year. So let's say for, for right now, I am really bought into LinkedIn and I'm okay. If it takes me two years to build more of an audience, it's already been a year and I didn't even like blink. Right. I was expecting that. And then on top of that, it's like, I know that something is going to change, but I'm bought in for three years and I'll start looking for that in the next couple of years. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's how I look at that. No, last question. At what point do you think LinkedIn just becomes noise? Um, within the next one or two years. <laughs> yeah, I was curious about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it it feels like it's headed that way, and I'm I'm uh-huh. yeah. people's perspective on, on when people are going to start migrating off of that onto a different way to consume kind of work content because it feels mm-hmm. flooded. Yeah, um, a year ago when I started, I think honestly it's because so many people got on during COVID and wanted to build their personal brand. Maybe they lost a job or they wanted to do something else and they were stuck at home. And I mean, that's how I got started. I was just chilling at home. I, I heard on a podcast, um, a friend of mine was talking about how he's on on LinkedIn and how they're having a lot of organic exposure. And uh, so I hopped on, right, and got started. And just like any other platform, whether we have Facebook or Instagram, um, Twitter, YouTube, it just becomes very saturated and it will happen with LinkedIn. And I think you just need to one have already been on, on board and built that audience. 
And then two, be looking for like the next thing that, or the next way that B2B marketers and, and people in the B2B world are going to consume content. So yeah, it's definitely getting saturated. I think there's still a lot of potential and organic reach on it, but that will end. But what I can't tell is whether it's just going to be a place for people to individually brand themselves or whether companies are still going to, going to, going to be able to kind of rightly market stuff out there. I just, I look at it and it just feels like this endless stream of people putting out polls. Yeah. And that's because polls are hot. I hear two people say, oh, polls get you a ton of engagement. You should go post it on LinkedIn. I literally have heard people say that, right? And I'm just like, people don't really get value from polls, yet they're all on there, right? And it's the new thing that LinkedIn has. So of course, they're going to push it. Eventually, that will fade and we'll go back. But to answer your question about, is this where companies are going to continue to um, market? I would think that the answer is yes, at least for the foreseeable future, because that's where we are consuming content. That's where people are consuming content, right? And then in addition to that, I think that more companies are going to move toward the brand ambassador play in marketing, which is they have five people that are not necessarily in the C-suite, but they have some name recognition within the company. And then they just talk about whatever they want to, to their audience. And people aren't dumb. Like they're going to go to their profile and kind of get like an idea of what they do. And then eventually point back to the company. I think that a lot more companies will embrace that more often than not. I, I know one company is thinking about it. Yeah. You? Yeah. Yeah. What are, yeah. what are you what are your thoughts on it? Uh I think I think that anymore people are in search of content. Yes. But mm-hmm. but I think that's overplayed. I think people are in search of energy. And I think that there are very few companies that properly put out the right level of energy into the world so if you look at like i, I have a peer that, that that i work with uh, our name's Lindsay. when she and i work together and we're having conversations together people have a good time she makes fun of me uh which is kind of funny but it's uh it's it's people actually have a good experience with our company uh when when they're interacting with people that are putting out like a, a positive kind of conversation and having a good time and they see that their interactions can be positive. I think it's just too difficult to do business with almost anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. If you, if you, I, I've, I've abandoned a few sales cycles where I was buying something for marketplace or, and it just got difficult to do business with the salesperson. I was like, mm-hmm. buddy, I, I just, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't have time for you in my life. And so you start creating that experience where people recognize that it's, it's not hard to do business with you and you have that thing of value. I think that's going to be the next thing that people are looking for. People, people have been looking for content and value for a long time. But I think right now that frictionless kind of experience, because everything's so disjointed and, and anymore, I, th- I think everything's been so mechanized that I think people are just looking to have fun doing business with other people again. And so I think yeah. people are going to start finding brand ambassadors that are fun to interact with. You, you, mm-hmm. just, you know what? I, I, I hang out with the two of them. And, yeah. and But at the same time, you know, it's wrapped around content. So if, if you're absent of content, right, that, that, that doesn't work. But I, I think you're going to start to see people work to put out content with a level of energy around it that looks like you want to do business with people. And I think that's, that's probably the next thing that uh, you'll, you'll, you'll see us start to put together a little bit more mm-hmm. is the thought that uh, we're, we're 
we, we do have something of value. We really do. Mm-hmm. And also it's, 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 you'll enjoy doing business with us. It's, it's productive. It's profitable. It's fun. It's, it's, it's all those things, but yeah, I like the brand ambassador concept. I like the idea of allowing people in your company to put information out in the world in their own fun way. I also watched, watched Salesforce do this pretty well too. Uh, when I was going through, I, I we we bought uh, their CRM system mm-hmm. a while back from them, mm-hmm. and you know I went out and I I did a lot of learning about some of their products. The stuff they put out was really good stuff, but it's really good content wrapped around really good people with with really good energy so it's uh it's 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 really good one thing that i think companies need to keep in mind is not to get their their fingers like in the brand brand ambassadors content like too much like don't dictate what they need to put out because here here's an example right um megan bowen is someone that i follow on linkedin right and she works for refine labs Refine Labs does demand generation. They're a service provider. Megan does not talk about demand gen. She talks about leadership and customer success. And naturally, like that's an interesting topic to me. But every time I see Megan, I know where she works and I'm reminded in the back of my mind, oh yeah, Refine Labs, like Chris Walker, right? Yeah. And I think that you as, as companies, you just need to give your brand ambassadors or even really all your employees the okay to go talk about what they're passionate about and naturally that will drive demand for your company. Because like I said before, people aren't dumb. They're going to go to that profile. They're going to figure out, you know, this, I like this person. What do they do? Oh, cool. They work at uh, Marketplacer. Yeah, that's nice. What does Marketplacer do? And every time now that they see Mike Herter in the, in the LinkedIn feed, they're going to realize, oh, I like his content. This looks like a fun brand. Now they solve my problem. I'm going to reach out. And I think that's how it needs to be executed. Well, it's fun too, because I think, I think the other thing is that a lot of software companies, if you, if you look 20 years ago, back in time, most people did the same thing, right? You, you had large behemoth ERP companies, and then you had best of breed dancing around it, and then they would get swallowed into the ERP, and then they would just continue to become part of that core ERP offering until there wasn't no more. But now, what you have with, with the introduction of microservices and, and API uh, first stuff, you, 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 you bait one, you've, you've killed off the enterprise sales market in a way that now everybody, every API, every company, I used to call that an API, <laughs> right? A long time ago, but now all these things are companies, but all the mystery around it is people look to optimize these small little things that used to just be a call with very little options. The, there's a lot of curiosity around it. And so the level of education that has to exist and be put out in the world anyway, it's, it's, it's amazing in, in that people don't know why you would adopt a marketplace functionality, which, you know, educating that and, and having fun around the thought that marketplaces are, you know, they, they, they back you know, as old as time uh, where you have an operator, a supplier and a customer and are all meeting together and selling things. Well, digitally doing that and how different B2C companies can, can really up their game with that. It's crazy to think that the only now the education level is starting with that. And so the idea of putting that out into the world and, and how people are educating markets around their small little component, because software is broken apart into such micro kind of such, such small little components of what it used to be. It's created the thought that you've got to market everything differently because you're not marketing this huge thing that people are buying anymore. You're, you're marketing all these small little calls that exist right. 
with within that huge thing and around it. So it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch people do. It's fun to watch people do right, and it's fun to watch people do wrong. <laughs> you know, I learn I learn a lot from from companies that are doing things wrong. For one, I mean, being on LinkedIn as much as I have, I can see what kind of posts are going to take off and and what's not. Yeah. And a lot of my time is just spent going through the feed going, oh, that's going to go nowhere. That That's crap. Or that looks like everything else. Or they're just copying this person. And this person is trying to be clickbaity. And it's it's actually really interesting to me to go through, uh, the, for example, LinkedIn feed and just see, well, what is resonating with me and why? And what do these people do wrong? And I kind of like, analyze how I would do it differently. And it has helped me improve tremendously just seeing what people are doing wrong, uh, just simply on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's, it's the other problem that I have with all that, by the way, is that when people talk about doing things right, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily right. They just got a lot of interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't necessarily believe a lot of interaction means you did something right. I just mean, I, I just think it means you got a lot of eyeballs on it. <laughs> and it's not always good eyeballs. It's always great comments. And, you know, the, I don't know. I see a lot of garbage that gets a lot of, a lot of attention on LinkedIn. And I, I just wonder who, who's allowing that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, I don't it's, know. It's, it's, I don't think there's any money that's behind it. I think there's just, and get like, I, I think there is such a thing as, as volume of empty engagement, not leading to dollars. And I 100% I, agree. Yeah. And, and, and I look at a lot of it as just kind of like this circular back and forth that, that's creating like this big non financial garbage monster of, of unmeaningful content. I just mm-hmm. don't, I, I, I watch it every day and I'm, 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 I'm desperate to get through LinkedIn and find something that I'm going to find valuable. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm having more and more of a challenge doing it. Yeah. And so here's how I look at it with LinkedIn. I promise you when I say this, I would rather get 10 of our ideal, our ideal buyers to engage and comment on one of my posts and that be it, than get a hundred likes and 50 comments on a post where none of them engage with it. And it looks good. It really does. But yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty empty. Look, I look out in my space and I see, I see, a company will post something on LinkedIn and then 50 of its employees will like it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's well, good that your own employees like your content. <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah. I'll tell you about that other than, you know, it seems like your employees like your content and they'll follow your LinkedIn page. And, but but it's, it's noticeable. <laughs> like yeah. you, you see it and you're like, oh, ah, 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 yeah. You always notice, oh, this has a lot of engagement. And then you dig into why. Um, before we go, I have a quick example. This was pretty funny. There was on LinkedIn, um, it takes, so let's say you post a video. It takes three seconds for a view to be counted. So you have to watch a video for three seconds before a view is, is ever counted, right? And I saw a video with like 300 likes on the video and a ton of comments but it had below 500 views. Like the views weren't even showing up yet. So it could have been a hundred views. And I'm like, that's really odd. That ratio does not happen like that. Normally it's, you get a hundred likes and a 1500 views, right? So I dug into it and it was these really empty comments. And I'm like, engagement pod, right? So this guy was in an engagement pod. People didn't even view the video. They just 
they skip the view. They weren't even looking at it for three seconds. They go quickly like it and then quickly say, great vid, this was so cool, exclamation point. And I was like, oh, got him, right? It's, it's, but he yeah. caught my attention. He really did. Yeah, it's, 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 you're creating this big garbage monster that, mm-hmm. that people who actually used to go to LinkedIn to consume content just can't take it anymore. Yeah. The, the other thing that I see a lot too is companies are forcing employees to post things or, or forcing them to repost things. So all you're seeing is this, this mandated corporate garbage yeah. that goes out. And I, I used to tell people, I'm like, look, your company doesn't own you as a LinkedIn entity. I, I had a company that wanted me to, to post it. I was like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, um, I wouldn't I'm not, I'm not devaluing kind of the, when, when you start putting stuff into the world and, and it's bad, right? People stop listening for your voice. You become part of that, 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 that white noise that people just kind of tune out. So I, I'm pretty conscious of, of what I put out in the world, that it's not just that white noise because people stop listening to you at some point. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you lessen yourself as an authority if all you're doing is reposting what your company told you to. Or yeah. you know, your company says, I want you to make a post. But that's not really your thing, right? And people know it's not your thing. Mm-hmm. People know this is your thing. And people always listen to you for this. But they just get used to tuning you out. They start to tune you because out for this too. And so it's, it's one of those things where you got to be really careful what you're aiming for in terms mm-hmm. of engagement uh, when you're dealing with yourself and, mm-hmm. and your own personal brand. Because at some point, right, you, you, you just get swept into that white noise that, that, that people scroll through. And it's just like, oh, look, another poll Mike Gerger posted about... I don't care. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is what's interesting is because we started this conversation by saying, well, is LinkedIn going to be a thing of the past because of all the noise? And I guess a better answer would be, no, you're just going to get tuned out. And the people that are doing it right are going to be listened to. And the companies that aren't making every, all 50 of their employees share their recent blog posts with a link. And then that's it. Like, No, it's who is sharing educational content that people are excited to consume that actually they enjoy the content creator because they're fun and personable. They're going to be the ones that win. What what I think is going to happen is I I think LinkedIn has enjoyed and appreciated this period of of belief that engagement is, is a positive thing. And at some point, they're going to realize the garbage monsters that have been created. And, and once we're off camera, I'll tell you a couple of people I think are garbage <laughs> monsters. But once, once, once they realize who the garbage monsters are, they're going to realize they have to protect themselves from that or, or people are going to leave the platforms. The platform yeah. will become white noise, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, yeah, it's like, it's like the Smiths in, in the Matrix. And at, at some point, LinkedIn's going to have to, to find a way to, to reward what's meaningful and, and define it differently than what the engagement pods are running. And so when yeah. that day comes, I think you'll see, a, 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 I'll get more excited about kind of looking through LinkedIn. But, but at yeah. the moment, you know, I, I, I use it because I like to see how different prospects and different individuals that I'm about to engage with are interacting. And I, I like to yeah. see if we're some of the same people. Uh, it's helpful for that, but the, I, I've lessened my dependence on LinkedIn for <laughs> learning about the world. And, and yeah, quite honestly, I have too. I've, 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 I've turned it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm in the same boat, man. Well, awesome. I appreciate you, you joining me here on the podcast. Um, I loved the, the way, the direction that we went there at the end. Um, before we go, I like to close it out by asking like, Hey, what's your elevator pitch? What does Marketplacer actually do? So in your words, Let's see if this message has gotten down to you properly and, and see what you think. So give us the elevator pitch of Marketplacer. How do I help you sell shit you don't own?
<laughs> there you go. So if you think about it, right, uh, you, you have this product and the human mind is organized itself around how to shop for products, mm-hmm. but it's usually in service of an experience. And that experience now is going to Amazon because when people go and they do that thing they love, well, I'll ask you, what's your favorite thing to do? Uh, probably watch sports. Watch sports. What's the last thing that you've purchased in support of watching sports? TV? Um, probably that, or I'm about to go get some golf shoes because, <laughs> yeah, because I'm pretending to golf, but that's about it. No, nah, it's fine. Golf's a terrible sport. Yeah. <laughs> it's like $60 to drive around in a golf course. It, it is. It's freaking and expensive. So, but look, you're, you're buying your golf shoes, right? And you are, Sam, you're the pretend golfer. And you're going online in Callaway.com and you see these golf shoes and you're like, you know what? I need these golf shoes on this particular day, but I also need a polo shirt that's going to go with me for that. And all right, so this particular shirt, this particular shoes, and I'm going to get here. I'm just going to go pick them up on Amazon. So you shop four or five web properties before you ever figure out that you can just go over here, get it off from Amazon, deliver it the same day, and it supports your golf outing, right? And there's all of it. You got some cigar cutters that you purchased too because you're going to have some cigars on the golf course and all this stuff. You could have purchased directly from one particular place if the people who make golf shoes realized that you're not shopping because you need golf shoes, you're shopping because you want to go golfing. And in going golfing, you're going to grab a cigar cutter. You're going to grab a new polo shirt. And if they would have had those on their site, they could have charged you for those at a reasonable amount of money and kept you on for the margin for the golf shoes that's fair and right. But instead, you they have to pay Amazon for the right to sell mm-hmm. the product there all the shirts and everything else is going to Amazon and they lose all the data. Marketplace helps you sell shit you don't own for experiences that you don't actually even know how to define yet for ways people are using your product that you don't even know. And it allows you to become the captain of that category. No, marketplaces are pretty cool. And I'm excited. I love to talk about them. I love to brainstorm with people about with your product, what else you could do to round out that experience because you can become the captain of that experience instead of just the captain of that particular product. So look, we help you sell shit you don't know, man. Love the analogy that that made it nice and clear. So Mike Herter, VP of Sales and Marketing for the Americas region at Marketplacer. Mike, appreciate you joining me here on the show, man. Thanks for the time, Sam. <laughs>